Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world, and Happy New Year. It's Happy New our Year. first episode of 2023, our 19, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20. fifth year. Oh my gosh, that's a long time. <laughs> We've been doing this for five years, Lee. That's a long time. Now, these people, they're not listening to it on New Year's, but we are. this is the first one that we're actually right. recording in right. a brand new year. It's January 4th, and it is uh, 2023. That's oh something goodness. we never do. We never announce the date. No. And um, uh, we're, we're thrilled to be here. I, we're, we're, we've had a ton of episodes that we've done. We have a ton more that, coming up this year. I think this is going to be our most exciting year ever. It's a big year. Our guest list is is big. In big. fact, just a moment big. ago, we had somebody else come on. I mean, we have leaders. We have entrepreneurs. We have big names big. coming. Big. big. And we've reached the critical mass that two things have happened. Number one is when we call people, we say, hey, we want you to be on FNO and SureTech. They've heard of us. They and know they us. Know it. And, and, and they're willing to be on it. And the second thing they, the, the first question they ask is, yeah, but does, can, can we just have Lee and not have yeah. Rob? Yeah, I'm sure that happens all the time. It happens a lot. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, can we just have the smart one? Only in my dreams. We want the smart one, not the cute one. No. I'm telling I you, Lee, it's not easy. It's not easy being the cute one. Well, it, you, think it's it's easy? A, you were handed a, a, a tough hand, and I'm sorry about that. Yeah. I mean, not everybody can say. They're the cute one. Not and, you know, the, and you know, this year, this is going to be a big year. We're going to be out and about. We're going to be yes, at conferences. Oh, a, lot, a lot of travel. We're going to mm-hmm. get to see a lot of friends, a lot mm-hmm. of past guests. We hope mm-hmm. that uh, all of our listeners, whenever we're at these events, we want you to come up and talk to us and uh, and let us know. Give us some advice on the show. All good, though. Nothing bad. Don't tell us bad things. We have so many exciting new big guests lined up. You don't want to miss a single one. In fact, I have a good example. If you'd yeah. like me to give you an example. I wish you would. Have you ever heard of Demotech? I have heard of Demotech. It's it's all over the place. Like you go into many, many insurance company websites and you see a little line at the bottom of the of the homepage that says financial stability rating. Yeah. From Demotech. Right. And you think to yourself, who's this Demotech anyways? Yeah, what is that? What are they doing? What does that matter? Well, as a matter of fact, we have the president and founder of Demotech as our guest today, Joe Petrelli from Demotech. Yeah, Joe's going to come on. He's going to talk all about it. For 37 years, Demotech's been around, and he's been sitting there at the top working, overseeing it. And we're going to get to learn where they came from. But then we get to talk about what, what do you do? What does it mean to have a demo tech rating? Why do you have a demo tech rating? Who oversees it? Who makes it so powerful? And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the Florida landscape and a little bit about how things have changed over the past 37 years. Joe's a super smart guy. Like anybody who says, I'm an actuary, mm-hmm. you don't need to ask the next question. Well, does that mean you're really smart? Because <laughs> the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And, and uh, what Joe, a delight. Jonah- a fun guy. Great guy. Joe and his wife, Sharon, founded this company 
in the same pool as the Moody's of the world and the AM Best and Standards and Poor's as this little teeny company. And today they're a player. They're a legitimate, important part of the insurance rating landscape. Yep. And we'll hear all about it in just a minute as soon as Lee and I stop talking. Well, I think let's jump on in. Let's let's, let's start the uh, new year with someone smart talking. There, there you go. Well, that excludes two of us. We're out. So, so we're we're out. So we'll shut up and let's go to our interview with Joe Petrelli, president and founder of Demotech. Hey, everybody! Welcome to a special edition with a gentleman that I cornered at a conference and gave him a hard time until he relented and said, yes, he would do our podcast. We have Joe Petrelli here today. Joe is the founder, correct, Joe? That's correct. And president of Demotech. Many, many, many of you have heard of Demotech and know what Demotech is, but we're going to do a deeper dive into that today. And many of you have no idea, but you're going to be really glad after this podcast today that you listened because uh, you're going to learn something that's really important in our industry. Right. So welcome. Yeah. Welcome to our podcast. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Where do we find you on this early January day? Uh, Columbus, Ohio. Beautiful. A true insurance hub. It is happening there in Columbus. Yeah, it is for sure. Um, yeah, Everybody kind of lives in nationwide shadow, but you've got in Cova, you've got Safe Auto, you got State Auto, you've got uh, Westfield up the road, and and there's a, a actually we have one very unusual insurance company it's called American Share, and they insure credit unions and bank for excess liability. They're right down the road, so there's all sorts of insurance companies here. You got uh, uh, Branch, you got Root, mm-hmm. and, uh, Green, Sure Tech Hub. It is. Yeah, we're we're duking it out. If we had decent weather, we'd have a better chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. Well, we always have a good time when we go to Columbus. I'm in California, which is now, to, as of today, the bad weather center of our country. It's raining and pouring, and we're, we couldn't be happier about it. I'm about to say, you got to be happy about that. We're happy. We're outside dancing in the rain. It's great. That's great. Uh, uh, anyways, I saw Joe at the Property Information Report Conference uh, in November, Joe spoke. He spoke about his company and about what they do and some of the interesting things that are going on in the market today. And I thought, this is somebody who should be on our podcast. So welcome. We're thrilled to have you. you. I mean, I don't think it's understating that you're a luminary in our industry. You've been around for a long time, if for no other reason than longevity. But tell us a little bit about what Demotech is, what you guys do, and what you do there. Demotech was formed in September 9th, 1985. So we've been around a little bit. And we originally started out to be a consulting firm that was focused on smaller independent regional companies so that they might have the type of actuarial and product development expertise that the bigger companies had. And in 1988, we heard through the grapevine that uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the government-sponsored enterprises, were looking for someone to review and rate smaller, independent property and casualty insurance companies, and that uh, AM Best had told them 
told Anita Champ at uh, Fannie Mae that it was impossible, impossible to rate those companies. That was their word, not mine. And so anyway, we, we, we heard that, you know, it wasn't going to happen. And uh, we, we thought, you know what, this would help smaller companies and help them level the playing field. And so we developed the process and we were actually the first company to be formally reviewed by Fannie Mae and separately by Freddie Mac. Uh, and then they also farmed out, you know, to their independent consultants. So we were the very first company to review and rate independent regional and specialty companies that were not part of a, a major family of companies. And then 1992, we did that for title underwriters, which protect the marketability of your title to real property. And also in there, we had the first to do public entity liability insurance pools, HMOs, health maintenance organizations. And more recently, 2021, we actually uh, began to review and rate healthcare sharing ministries. Although no. they're not, they're not considered insurance, uh, they, they kind of they, they do look like insurance to some people. Now, what are those? Well, a healthcare sharing ministry uh, is, a, is a nonprofit organization. And under the Affordable Care Act, they became a big deal because they were an alternative to health insurance. They're not licensed by the Departments of Insurance, but there's about 100 of them in the country. And um, we actually are working, the one that we reviewed and rated is uh, Christian Health Ministries, which is, depending on the time of day, probably the biggest in the country. Oh, okay. But basically what happens is you, you would, if you're a member of a healthcare sharing ministry, you would make a contribution. A member makes a contribution and your monthly contributions based on the type of program that you have selected. And the way it works is you don't have a contract. There's just sort of a general outline of, you know, here's, here's kind of sort of what we're going to try to do to reimburse you. And so on your, on your faith and, and on the reputation of, of the entity, um, you then make a monthly contribution. And when you have medical expenses, you submit them. And there's no guarantee there's going to, that they will be paid. However, uh, you know, they, there's guidelines for consideration. So wow. it's, it's truly faith-based. <laughs> yeah, that is. That's the definition of faith-based right there. Yeah. And, so, and so what are you doing? You're actually looking at those companies and you're looking at the at the financial side of it? We, we, we look at the financial side of it. The other thing that we look at, though, is, is um, even the, is, is there, they have to be extremely careful not to represent themselves as insurance companies. So we are also right. looking at their website, their marketing materials, how they present themselves to their prospective members. And we make sure that, you know, we don't think they're crossing any lines in, in terms of looking like an insurance company. And it does get a little confusing because some of them will actually use insurance agents to, to write business. To write, to sell their product. Yeah. To sell, yeah, to sell a non-insurance product. So it gets a little confusing. And um, so we take a look at that. We take a look at their transparency with their members. We also look at their processing systems to make sure that they're, they're protecting members' information. And we also make sure that there is, in fact, a faith-based approach with each member. 
because some, some will actually go to the trouble of making a member sign a statement that says, here's what we believe as a ministry. Here's our you know five things, 10 things, eight things, whatever it might be. Do you agree with us? But the bread and butter, what Demotech is most famous for, if, if that's the right word I can use, famous, is rating insurance carriers. Correct. You're an actuary, correct? I am. Or, or a recovering actuary. <laughs> yeah. You guys are a very unusual club of people, actuaries are. Some of the most fun people I've ever met, actually. I'm reminded of the actuary who was so incredibly boring, the other actuaries noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Rob, to your point, on, on the rating side, if you look back at the original issue that Fannie and Freddie had, it was smaller, independent companies that were not rated, you know, either by AMBEST or the legacy rating agencies. And what we did was, because we were insurance people first, we looked at it, we said, well, smaller companies use reinsurance. And so much of our original methodology that we discussed with Fannie and Freddie was related to an evaluation of the reinsurance program. And I, I think there's there's a fair number of people, even within the insurance industry, because we're, we're such a specialized industry, there's a fair number of people that don't understand the importance of, of a reinsurance program for a regional carrier or a specialty carrier. And so that's that was, I think, where we were able to to make some of our firsts when we look at regional companies, title underwriters, self self-funded public entity pools. I, I, I'll say this. We have one group of public entity pools that we assigned a rating to in 1986 or seven. They have paid out in excess of. $5 billion of claims. These are relatively small single state pools, but they've paid out in excess of $5 billion of claims over the last uh, 30 years. And um, yeah, they're, they're doing fine. But wow. early on, 1985, 1986, 87, when we did that, oh my God, everybody and their cousin was, you know, these guys aren't going to make it. Right. And, you know, and here we are, you know, nearly 40 years down the road. And they're still serving their their public entity members, and uh, and they're actually growing because because the reinsurance market has supported their ability to, to perform exactly and keep their promise exactly. And and the reinsurance community has been critical to the point, especially early on when they were being formed, because you know there there was no huge accumulation. And and when you think about public entities, I mean, you're looking at law enforcement. You're, you're looking at, you know, police cars and ambulances that are going to go 100 miles an hour. Um, you, you've got, obviously, people have guns, people have pepper spray. I mean, all, there's all sorts of opportunities. You have people in jail. There's all sorts of, you know, kind of strange opportunities. And one of the things that the company did early on is they said, you know what, we're going to be smart. We're going to have protocols and risk management. And we're going to actually have people sit down. We're going to make them talk about it. We're going to make them do it. And uh, if they're not willing to commit to our process, we're not going to insure them. And and so th that was something that we looked at as insurance professionals and said, you know what, if that's something you're really going to be doing, that's going to favorably impact your experience. 
And the reinsurers felt the same way. So is your customer the insurance company? Does an insurance company come to you and say, hey, I need a rating. Can you please do it for us? I think at a high level, that's that's probably right. I mean, but the insurance company wants to be the customer because there's a fair number of regulations, bulletins, statutes, protocols where you need to be rated by a, a recognized a recognized entity. So yes, the, 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 our client is the insurance company, but the insurance company is the client because it needs a rating. Who is out there or what or what group is out there making sure that Demotech is being fair to all? I mean, who oversees Demotech? Is that the SEC? Right now it's the SEC, yes. Uh, on July 11th of 2021, we were we were registered, we submitted an application and it was accepted by the Office of Credit Ratings within the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. We are now the the tenth nationally recognized statistical rating organization in the country. Great job! And and uh, I think what, what we like to say is, uh, you know, there's ten of us now: AM Best, Fitch, Moody's, Standard and Poor's, Demotech, and and five others. so uh we're what yes they look at us we have we have transparency requirements where we have to disclose certain information it's on our website the same as every other every other nrsro it's out there on our website they have formats for how to disclose information we follow those formats they have periodic and annual examinations um, we have a conflicts of interest policy, uh, you know, so we can't uh, we can't rate a company sure. that our analysts would have, you know, an investment in. Sure. Sure. Things. So so I, I think from from our perspective, that that's a big one. But but I think Lee, prior to that, prior to July 11th of last year, what we did is we, we publish on our website survival rates of insurance companies. And we've done that since that you've rated of, of, of that. We will be rating or what we rated or we will be rated. And we, we have said that at the a double prime level, our top rating, we have said once we withdraw a rating, a hundred percent of the a double prime companies, if we withdraw that rating, a hundred percent will survive 18 months, a prime 99% or more, will survive 18 months. A is 97% will survive at least 18 months. S, 95%. M, at least 90%. And we've published those since day one. So, and again, back on your question about transparency and, and you know, who monitors us. We did that early on. We did that in 1989 when we first published our ratings and the reason we did that is because even though those are ratings and opinion, someone should know, you know, the validity of your opinion or the substance behind it. Mm-hmm. And every year, every year from 1989 to date, when we published our first rating, we have met or exceeded the survival percentages that we discussed. I, I think from, from my perspective, you know, we've kind of self-monitored and, and we also had when we talked about those survival percentages, we had those verified by two PhDs, uh, Dr. Michael Barth, who retired recently as the associate dean at the Citadel, 
He was at the NAIC for 10 years. He developed their risk-based capital formula. And the other PhD that he collaborated with to review our ratings and come up with the percentages was Dr. Robert Klein, who retired from the NAIC after about 20 years as their chief economist. Wow. we had two pretty senior guys, uh, you know, kind of looking at our ratings and helping us. So is, is what happens is um, an insurance company needs a rating and they come to your office. They have a bunch of I, I picture a bunch of people with cardboard boxes <laughs> and, and two wheelers, you know, their carts that, and they're carting in case after case of documents and, and paper. But that's probably not what it's like anymore. Correct. It's the same thing, Rob, but we use ShareFile now, right? But so, <laughs> Thank so God, huh? It's, a, it's uh-huh. a PDF of banker boxes instead of a banker box. But there's a fair amount of public information that's readily available, both financial related to you know rate filings. That information's uh, available. We utilize that. and but But yeah, to a large extent, our process is participatory. I mean, we, we work with management to understand things. If they make major changes in procedures and processes, we'll, we'll talk to them and work with them about, you know, how that might flow through and change their operating results. But, but by and large, if, if the prior experience, historical experience of the company uh, is not indicative of where they think they're going to be in the future, then yes, they're, they're going to need to explain that to us and have some documentation on that. Yeah, how much of how much of the research is entering numbers on a spreadsheet and then sending out? You know, I, w- I would assume in my head you're entering a bunch of financial numbers on a spreadsheet and there's a rating at the bottom, but then you've got to go out and look at things like their website and and look at you know people perhaps, and, and look at more than just numbers. So how much yeah, of it is like just- where their PIF is located. Yeah. where their PIF. So how much of it is just financial? And then how much of it is outside of the numbers? I think from our perspective, there's so many variables on the qualitative side. Uh, you know, if, if somebody's got wind exposure, if they're mm-hmm. in you know, a Southeastern state, if they've got fire exposure, if they're in California- to wildfires, if they've got earthquake, if they've got flood, that's all part of that process. And we need to understand how they've addressed that, which means that we we need to understand catastrophe models. Uh, we need to understand their catastrophe response plan. We, we need to understand their d- disaster recovery plan. God forbid they're going to try to, you know, they, you've got a situation like you had in, uh, in, in Florida with Hurricane Ian or, or Hurricane Nicole. If God forbid you're the insurance company and your home office is struck by right. the storm, right? So we got another disaster recovery plan, and, and so we're always we're always digging and we're always looking at the the type of information that would be helpful under you know the, the kind of worst case scenario, if you will. We have minimum requirements associated with uh, catastrophe reinsurance, uh, both vertically the amount of reinsurance that has to be purchased, as well as horizontal, the number of storms that need to be addressed in a given season. I I would say, you know, when you look at people talk about climate change, they talk about the weather patterns, they talk about the number of, you know, $10 billion events that there's been in the last decade or so. We're rather proud of the fact that on our reinsurance requirements, we were one of the first 
to actually talk about horizontal requirements. How many storms will happen in one season? It's not about one big storm. It's about a series of storms. Right. Right. Because it's an accumulation. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we're, we're careful. We want, we, uh, our usual requirement is a company's net retention on a storm, a catastrophe cannot be more than 10% of surplus. So that at any given point in time, if there's two storms, then you would have, you know, you'd lose 10% of your surplus both times, three storms, 10%, three times, but it's, it's a manageable number. And so I, I, I think the, the process is, as I see it and, and, you know, developed it early on, the process was to understand the company's business model and how their reinsurance program supports their business model. So I'm seeing a meeting that's happening between you or your sales staff and the people at a, uh, at a carrier. And you're, you're telling them up front, look, you're going to give us, we're going to do all this work. You're going to give us all this information. We're going to go through it. We're going to come through it. We're going to come up with a rating. And that's that. Don't call us and say, can't you move it up a little bit? Can't you help us here? I mean, there must be that kind of pressure environment because, of course, every carrier wants their rating to be as high as it possibly can be. Yeah, that's a good point. I think we're a little different than the other insurer rating organizations. And and, and right now, probably a little different from the other nationally recognized statistical rating organizations. Our philosophy when we began was we only wanted to work with companies that were unrated or underrated. And the idea is that we, we really don't have we really don't have an interest in finding a company and saying you're a bad company. We want to call you bad. Right. So, so we're, we're trying to work with companies that are good companies to begin with. And we always have a question on our information list. And we always have a question when we send out a preliminary rating and the question on our information list is after we give them a checklist, it's like and anything else you think will help us understand your company. And when we send someone our preliminary financial stability rating, our other comment is, did we miss something? Did we misinterpret? Did you not send us something you should? So we, we want to make sure that everybody gets the benefit of the doubt to the extent that they can provide information and insights on why they deserve the benefit of the doubt. And does does the final rating, why is that so important to the carrier? Is it because of selling policies or is it because of buying reinsurance or both? I would say on the front end, I think it's more selling policies. One of the things that we've done is in most producers, uh, professional liability policy and their E&O policy, there's usually what's called the insolvency provision that talks about the rating assigned to the markets used by that producer. And if the rating has to be X or better from Demotech and Y or better, or Y or better from AMBEST, those are the only two rating organizations I've ever seen within the insolvency clause. So if... So from a producer perspective, 
And from the company's perspective, the insurance company's perspective, to the extent that we assign a rating that meets the provisions in the E&O policies for producers, that facilitates the company's ability to appoint producers. Uh, because they now the the producer will now know yeah if I use if I use a company rated X or better by Demotech I've got E and O cover. I'd like to ask about Florida and I'd like to say what in the world is going on with Florida? Why am why are we seeing downgrades in Florida? What what's happening there? Well, I mean, w- with any kind of luck at all, what's happening in Florida residential properties been the the rings kind of been cut off by the May special session and the December special session and the legislative reform. So hopefully uh, there's there's an, an end in sight. Right. Right. Uh, but I think that the, the commissioner of insurance documented that in Florida, they represented Florida represented about eight percent of the homeowners claims in the country but yet was about 80% of the litigation on homeowners insurance claims in the country. Mm-hmm. And what we saw in, and, and plus, and on top of that, there were some court cases uh, back in 2016, 2017, SIBO uh, case, Johnson case, Joyce case. Um, unfortunately, a couple of them, and, and again, I'm not an attorney, but one of them related to uh, concurrent causation and, and basically what the Florida courts decided way back, well, it wasn't way back, about six years ago, uh, that like if two, th- if two things might have caused this and one of them's covered, then yeah, it's covered. <laughs> so, you know, that was part of it. And, and then there were some laws. There's one way attorney fees and there were some, some laws, Lee, where if I offered you $10,000 and you sued me and got a million dollars, the law would be applicable in the past because that was an egregious difference. If you had a million dollar claim, I should never have offered you $10,000 for it. And so there was a, there was a punitive attorney fees that were applicable. Well, one of the court cases actually got it to the point where if I offered you $10,000 and you got, you thought you needed $10,000 and one cent, that that was also egregious and there should be punitive attorney fees. So there was a reason on almost every claim for someone to sue because if you got a penny more, you would get your penny. But I, as your attorney, I would get my, my, my legal fees uh, based on the fact that that was an egregious difference that one cent. And there's actually been court cases that were, were fought over one cent Strictly because the attorney was trying to get was trying to get uh, legal fees. They built inadvertently built a system that incentivized what happened. Eighty percent, like you said, eighty percent. They they yeah. built a system that incentivized that. And now, as you mentioned, they're trying to they're trying to deconstruct that. Yeah. So with that, what does that have to have to do with the rating? Whenever you're rating a Florida company, I guess you have to take into account the extra cost associated with the with the legal fees. The legal fees and the the litigation levels. That's what actually sank companies in okay. Florida. It wasn't the storms themselves. They had plenty of reinsurance. I, I don't think there's been an insolvency in Florida 
because a company went through its upper limit on reinsurance in probably 25 years. But the litigation levels, the litigation levels were phenomenal. Uh, for example, and the other thing that was interesting to me was not only were the litigation levels sky high, but the opportunists who brought the litigation were able to scale it to the point where they could turn on litigation almost like a faucet. There was one company in Florida that went under in 2021, and they had as many new new litigated claims in 2021 with their tiny little sliver of the Florida market as the entire California homeowners market with 12 billion in homeowners. There were as many claims in the $12 billion California homeowners market in 2021, the fifth largest economy in the world, as this one tiny little company had in, in Florida. And wow. it went in just literally uh, the, the number of claims, new litigations per month just went from low double digits to over 400 a month in one year. I mean, it was like a rocket taking off. It was the hockey stick. And I think that, you know, as we sit now, hopefully what happened in, in, in the May special session, effective July 1 of last year, and the December special session, effective 1-1, you know, in retrospect, you look and you think it, it's kind of sad that we have, you know, 700,000 Ian and Nicole claims, you know, kind of in between that July 1 of last year. Yes. Because right. that, that pig is still in the pipeline under the right. old rules. Yeah. Oh, really? So they have to they have to endure that. But but there's light at the end of the of that pipe. Very right? much. Very uh -huh. much so. I, I think it's 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 exciting. Um, you know, I think the companies have been compensating through um, you know revised business plans, which might mean you know not writing new business, capital contribution from a holding company. Uh, they, they, you know, they've been very well. Their rate, I mean, their rate was the highest in the country. Well, the the rates are unfortunately, you know, Floridians do pay heavily for that. Although I don't feel too bad for them because they got no state income tax. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shut up. Exactly. <laughs> Lee lives in Texas, so he's another one. Oh, he's another one. Yeah, yeah. I'm another one. Yeah, Texas That's deserves it too, right? Help us understand the difference between AM Best and DemoTech, other than you know, thousands of people? That's a difficult question. I mean, certainly they're an institution. I, I think I look at, you know, philosophically, again, you know, go, going back to my, my first involvement in ratings back in 1988, they said it was impossible to yeah. review and rate smaller independent companies. We believe it's possible. You just got to do a deep dive on the reinsurance program. I think we're so that's one thing, you know, we think the reinsurance is more, you know, is a big is a big deal for the smaller companies. The other thing I would say we're different is, you know, we kind of look at companies business model. We're, we're not we're not enamored with size. Size is is um, so, and, and let me use an analogy here. And, and then, uh, Rob, I'd be glad to, you know, if, if you got a follow up. But here, if you call a big company and you say, I want to bind a homeowner's policy in North Dakota, 
if you don't get to the department that deals in North Dakota, the Iowa department's not going to help you. The, the California department can't help you. So, so when you really look at it, I mean, a, a big company is actually a conglomerate of small companies. Everything's departmentalized. There is no outside of the president or the CEO. There, there is no one that can speak directly. I mean, the, the functional levels are are focused on either a line of business or a state in terms of underwriting claims, marketing. So th- this idea that bigger's better, yeah, sometimes it is. Um, but but at, at the functional level, if you're an insured, what you care about is that your claim for your line of business that you bought a policy uh, is going to get paid. Right. Right. And, you know, if, if the people in North Dakota are getting their claims paid and but you're not in South Carolina, then you're not interested knowing that somebody else is getting paid. You want to be paid. So we kind of look at size and business model a little differently than the other guys do. How have uh, things changed over the past 37 years? I mean, what do you what do you look at now that you didn't look at back then? Two things. And if I may, one of the kind of a macro thing, if you will. One of the things that we've done, and we demo tech, you know, Barry Kessler, our chief ratings officer, Sharon Romano Petrelli, my, my wife and business partner. One of the things that we've done is we have focused on the United US. I mean, we're not looking at international. And in the United States, if you look at uniquely rated companies, and by that I mean they have one rating agency. Okay, uniquely rated companies. We're number two in terms of count. Our count of uniquely rated companies in the US is 10 times what Standard Poor's, Moody's, and Fitch have combined. They have next to nothing that is just them rating it. They're always rating a larger company, but we are actually number two in the US in terms of uniquely rated companies and nobody's close to us. Um, and obviously, you know, the good folks in Old Wick uh, are number one, but we're, we're number two on that. And so I, I think in terms of what's different is we get to see a large number of companies and, and they're in every state, every line. And part of the value of us doing that is that we learn something all the time. And if we see a pressure point that a particular company has, and we think that that pressure point, um, and maybe it's um, disaster recovery plan, maybe, maybe it's expense ratio, uh, maybe it's the way they appoint agents. And we see that, we learn from that, and we kind of have that in the back of our minds, and we put that on our list of things to, you know, to look at. Uh, I would say that as we sit now, the, the thing that's most different uh, is we did establish minimum requirements for reinsurance purchases. That's okay. probably, in my mind, the biggest difference uh, that's happened over time because you would be astounded the number of companies that we would talk to about their reinsurance program. And we would say, especially their catastrophe reinsurance is what I'm talking about. We would talk to them and say, why'd you buy this much reinsurance for the first event? Why'd you buy this much for the second event? 
And they'd either shrug their shoulders and say, well, that's what the cap modeler said, or that's what our broker said, or that's all I could afford. And we just said, whoa, 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 that's the wrong answer. Bob Warren uh, has worked with us 18 years. He's a CPA inactive and a CPCU. And when Bob hears something like that, he always responds and says, that's not the full credit answer. We, we don't like that answer. So I think the reinsurance requirements that we put in place, um, I, I think were, were one big thing. And I think the rest of it, I, I think one thing we've learned from the Florida experiment, if you will, um, jurisdictions, jurisdictions can be unique. And sure. I think, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I, when we look at that reinforces our philosophy because our philosophy is, uh, you know, it's your business model. And there's probably, you know, a large number of companies that operate in one state or they operate one line of business and they're just experts and that's all they know. Mm -hmm. I think if you look at the medical profession, there's GPs, there's brain surgeons, there's oncologists, uh, you know, pulmonary experts, and everybody loves the idea that their medical professional is a specialist. And we just think that's also applicable to insurance companies. That must put you in a really interesting perch because you must see best practices as a result of what you're saying. I mean, you must look at some operators and say, these guys are great or super solid. And you must look at some others and, and say, boy, they have, a, they have a ways to go. You have access to really tremendous amounts of information. I'm sure that you wouldn't go to one and say, you know what, you know what they do over there, they do this. But sharing the this data bank of best practices, is that something that you do or that you're asked about? I, I don't know that we share it directly, Rob. I, I think I I think that it factors into our questions mm-hmm. and into our interpretation and and then our response to the company. So I think the company sees it sort of indirectly, we're not going to tell anyone they have to be doing things a certain way. Our question to a company all the time is, why do you do that the way you do it? And and so you could be a complete contrarian, but if it works for you, then it works for you. I'll give you an example. We no longer do consulting because it's not it's not allowed under the, uh, the rules associated with the SEC. So we don't consult anymore. But in the past, we would have companies come to us and say, we want to copy progressives rates in Illinois for automobile insurance because they really know what they're doing. And what we used to say to those people that wanted to do that, I said, yeah, but you're not them. You don't have their claims department. You don't have their underwritings people. You don't have their processing system. You don't know their secret sauce. Just having their rates doesn't make you them. How, how are you going to make those rates work for you? And you'd be astounded how many times you got kind of a blank look because somebody thought, you know, I got to, you know, I'm going to do a me too of somebody's rates and forms. Obviously, I'm going to have the same experience. And we said, no, that's not the case at all. It's, it's about the people and the management and the culture and the business model. And, and so I, I think from our perspective, what we've always tried to understand about the companies we work with is 
Why are you going to do something the way you're going to do it? Why do you think that's going to work for you? And to the extent that they happen to have best practices, that's fine. But to the extent that they don't, then, you know, maybe we got a follow up question or two. So with all of this, all of this taken into account, how I mean, how often does a company go up in their rating and and how often do they go down or, or stay? Is it more likely for them to go up or to go down? Thank you for that. If, again, going back to 1988, if you look at other companies, other rating agencies, they'll call their ratings financial strength. Yes. Ratings. Yes. We specifically called ours financial stability ratings. And the reason we call it financial stability is because we believe that companies should be consistent in their approach, the stability piece of it. So so what to answer your question directly is we don't expect companies' ratings to change markedly over time because the idea is it's about the stability as opposed, and, and that means that they're going to be consistent. So we could have a company get upgraded, but I would say downgrades are probably a, a little bit, well, they're more prominent than upgrades. And the reason for that is because, you know, there's underwriting cycles, there's changes in laws, there's court precedents, and also the amount of lead time that a company needs to change a form. I mean, you got six, eight months in the form development, you file it, then it's going to take you 12 months for it to go through your renewal book of business. So I think for, for the insurance company, you know, there, there's always timing issues and the time cuts against them. Uh, so, so yes, there's more downgrades than there is upgrades, but at the end of the day, it's about financial stability and consistency. And that's the other reason that we tend to like companies that stick to their knitting. If, if somebody's a very good med mail writer, I don't know what that means. If they said tomorrow they're doing surety right. or tomorrow they're doing taxi cab liability It's like, Hmm. How, how are you going to do that? How are you going to leverage your expertise? It's about the stability of, of their operations in terms of the type of business they write, the, the, where they write it, who writes it for them, and, and all those things factor in. So I want to ask you real quickly about InsureTech, and InsureTech's a funny word. Um, we're an InsureTech podcast. They're... There are several insurance companies that are referred to as insurtex, not because they're insurtex, but because they exist in the insurtech world. Have you had an opportunity to rate some of the insurtex? We, we've probably got 10 or 15, maybe even more. Mm -hmm. And I, I think... Again, going back to our basic philosophy, I think the reason that many of the insure techs have come to us is because their business model is markedly different than kind of a brick and mortar traditional insurance companies. And to the extent that we're open to hearing about their model, to trying to understand their model, to understanding their nuances, 
Um, that to me is, is I think one of the reasons we've, we've had that opportunity. The, the other thing that's interesting is I, I don't know that there's two insure techs that look alike. Yeah. They're right. They're so, they're so different and, and they have so, they're so nuanced. Uh, and so we look at that and we say, you know what, again, we need to understand what they're doing, how they're doing it. If it's different, why do you think that's going to benefit you? And explain that all to us. And then, of course, once they've done that and they've received a rating, then they have to walk the walk as well. Any other thoughts on the InsureTech marketplace as you're seeing it? Again, just looking at the ones that we rate plus reading about you know, some of the others that we don't rate. I would say the one thing I've seen happen over the last several years is that the insurtechs are realizing that the technological advances and you know maybe they're a little bit more efficient because they think they're a little bit more technology focused at the end of the day it's the loss ratio and the adjusting expenses that make or break you so i i think they're getting a little bit more attuned to the fact that they're bringing technology to the insurance business but it's still the insurance business I think that's really well said. It's still the insurance business. At the end of the day, you know, uh, people people pay you a premium. They want their claim paid. The technology's nice. Even there's some some of the the insure techs, I guess, can you know pay a claim the same day they get it if they have all the data they need. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, you're the insurance business. Last question. Save the best for last. You've done many podcasts and, and, and you've been interviewed many times. Like I said, at the top, uh, I've seen you interviewed on, on stage, but not everybody gets interviewed by Kathy Ireland. <laughs> not that Lee and I aren't gorgeous, yeah. but we aren't gorgeous. So what, uh, tell us that story. Okay. So Kathy Ireland, um, Sharon and I actually, we were on Kathy Ireland's show. I think I think it's called Worldwide with Kathy Ireland. Uh-huh. And we, we went out to Santa Barbara and uh, Kathy Ireland actually sits down with you for like half an hour, 45 minutes, just to kind of get to know you a little bit. And then, you know, she had some questions that, you know, she had and we had reviewed them with her people. And so finally, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be interviewed. Well, during the 45 minutes that she was getting to know us, uh, Kathy Ireland and, and my wife, Sharon, share a birthday different year, but the same day. And so they became like, you know, bosom buddies during that 45 <laughs> minutes because they had this commonality. And so when, when we had the interview, Kathy Ireland actually kept asking Sharon all the questions. And it's almost like I had a raise by hand and say, wait a minute, I'm here too, you know? Yeah, exactly. But, but anyway, so Kathy, Kathy Ireland, was was on worldwide with Kathy Ireland and it was it was fun. I mean, we were there. We went out to Santa Barbara, and um, they, they, I think there's about a seven seven minutes of it. And she's very personable. And um, but but it was just it was really about being the first to review and rate independent smaller companies. And and it was about letting people know that not everybody's a State Farm or a Nationwide or a Geico or a Travelers or an Allstate, and, and that there's smaller companies out there that are been around forever. I think that was probably one of the things that there's so many of them 
surprise her. And I think that they've been around forever. The 100, 125 years uh, surprised her. But but it was it was about uh, an interview about being the first to, to review the smaller companies. That's neat. Well, I'm sorry that for our interview, you got to go to your desk. And <laughs> That's right. All expense paid. Yeah. We took care of that. And you got to look at us, which... About which, the same. What a privilege that is. No, it's it's fun. I, I enjoy this from my perspective. I, I think what I liked about you know your podcast and, and your approach is that it's it's about sharing useful information with other people. Yeah, it was a little bit self promoting because it has to be uh, for me. But at the end of the day, I think it's about helping people get to know your guests, and, and I think that's that. Yeah kind of sets you aside, yeah. I think. So even though, you know, neither of you look like Kathy Ireland and, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm guessing you've never been on the cover of sports illustrated either. No, she no. still has the record. I think. Does she really? Yeah. I think it was eight, nine times. I don't think well it was deserved. Well yeah. deserved. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was funny. You know, we're not the deepest dive, but like you said, we like to know what people are up to. And I mean, there's so much more even still to talk about. We've pushed our time today, but we, there's so much more to talk about. Like, and, and would love to have you back again about your insights about consolidation in the insurance marketplace and new entrants into the market. I mean, one of the things that seems to me is, is that there's so many new companies coming into play. I mean, is there really, apparently there's that much need for insurance. Apparently people think they didn't realize how much insurance they needed. And there's new companies here to help take care of that. I'll be candid with you. When you look at rating insurance companies and, and the, the, what we've been doing for the last 37 years, how that's evolved over the last 37 years, our first team of five people, our first team of five people has 17 college degrees and professional designations, 150 years of experience. What I'm astounded at is the number of people who were fine arts majors or, or no major whatsoever that want to tell me how to rate an insurance company. So, so this idea that, you know, you didn't take a deep dive. There, there aren't that many people that would enjoy a deep dive. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it's boring. It's hammer yeah. chisel stuff. But yet everybody wants to talk about how they would have done something different and how they would have done something better. And they don't really know what we're doing, what anybody, what s and doing, what Moody's is doing, what anybody else is doing, but they would have done it better. And it, it, so anyway, I'm, I'm astounded at, at the number of people that criticize it. I, I, I use the example sometime. It's like a PhD in nuclear physics wants to have a conversation with a kindergarten kindergartner about an atom. The kindergartner is going to have a sense of what an atom is, but I, I don't think it's going to be at the same level that the nuclear physicist does. Probably not. Right. So anyway, I actually enjoyed your approach and your questions and, and your level of detail. I thought it was appropriate. Thank you so much. We've we've really appreciated it. It was a pleasure to meet you um, in November. Look forward to our paths crossing again. Let's make it happen. And um, anytime you want an actuary, let me know. I'm here. Thanks, Joe. You know, the little demo tech thing at the bottom of 
people's website. Yeah. You know, it you says, mean like where's the demo right, tech rating? Yeah, demo tech rating. People advertise that. Right. It, it's really important. It's very Can you important. imagine how complex and complicated their work is? I can't even imagine. When he was talking about just a little bit, just the, the surface level of what he did, I thought, I bet it is this unbelievable process you've got to go through. I wonder, and we didn't ask him, we should have asked him, what's the average amount of time it takes to do a rating on a company a new for the first time? Yeah. No, we didn't. But I would imagine it is not easy. And I'd imagine that there's a little bit of a preliminary audit, I guess I'll call it, that gets mm. done, mm. you know, even before the big one, because they, you know, they're looking for companies that are stable. And I mean, you got to yes. say, hey, are they going to pass? Um, 37 years. 37 years. That's Started that's from zero up against, you know, companies like AM Best and Moody's. A big, big deal. That's, big deal. That's uh, uh, an amazing entrepreneurial accomplishment. Weekly, I read the word demo tech on websites. Yeah. If oh, I'm yeah. researching a, a new client or oh, researching yeah. some, I'm looking at, you know, what's their, what's their yeah. stability score. Right. If you don't know what demo tech is and what they do, you need to spend a little more time doing your insurance homework. And uh, we thank Joe a lot for being with us, for being willing to submit to the torture of being on FNO and SureTech. It's a tough task. We thank both of our producers, even though I think we thank Al more today. <laughs> Why is that, Rob? She's in the timeout box right now. It looks like she's in a, in a wooden a wooden walled <laughs> it room. It looks like she's in a box, doesn't it? Looks like she's in, I don't know. And, but most of all, we thank all of you for being with us and enduring another hour with your friends in the InsureTech podcast business, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. And until next time. Goodbye, everybody.